Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he boards Chameleon Flight 470. Please put your tray tables up and seat backs in the upright position. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. Ready to take to the friendly skies? (laughs) Not with Chameleon Tours, no. (laughs) And not so friendly skies? You don't want to get swapped. Shrunk. You get shrunk. Well, you you get shrunk first, then you get swapped later, right? Yeah. Taking over their bodies later. Do you guys have a good week? Not bad. I uh, listened to a Doctor Who audio. I listened to Shadow of the Daleks 1. And as the uh, title implies, it's one of two, at least. (laughs) It's the first part of multiple parts. And um, it's good. It's really good. It's got the fifth Doctor. It's an anthology piece with an overarching uh, theme. Um, all of the different voice actors play different characters, but whereas in normally in Doctor Who, the Doctor doesn't necessarily recognize that the same person has a different name later because, you know, obviously they're playing a different person. But in this one, he does. And it's really cleverly done how they've put it together. And also, as the title implies, um, Shadow of the Daleks implies that there's not very many Daleks there yet because they're casting a long shadow over this entire anthology. So there's not a lot. It's not Dalek heavy in any way, but there are um, little, there are little pieces that little hints uh, at perhaps some manipulation happening behind the scenes. But it was really good. It's Peter Davison. He's traveling on his own. Uh, and then uh, the gal that played Ronnie, uh, say her name for me, Sean. Anjali Mohindra. Is that right? Mohindra, I believe, Mohindra. yes. Uh, she's one of the uh, actresses in this. They, they all do a very good job. I was, I was very impressed with it. I went ahead and listened to it because, number one, it has Daleks, although it doesn't. And number two, because um, it's so new that it will probably be five years from now before we do it on the show. So <laughs> I'll just re-listen yeah, to it. Yeah, it just came out in yeah. October, right? just came out this month, yeah. I, oh, ye of little faith. Sometimes the uh, Big Finish app will... Um, wrote me into going, oh, that looks interesting. Then I go <laughs> then I go buy a new one, and so I have a new one on my app. So, uh, Did you guys do anything? I've got some big changes coming at work. I've uh, accepted a position as the customer service manager over the specimen login and receiving area. Congratulations. Is that a step up? Thank you. Yeah, it is a step up. So I'm becoming salaried and won't be in charge of about nine people. Congratulations. It'll be fun. I think it's going to be a a good challenge. I'm looking forward to it. I start Monday, November 2nd. Cool. your office and everything change? Are you still in the same building, just doing a different position? I'm in the same building, but different office. So I'm still at the lab, and I'll be be overseeing um, specifically the COVID login staff, as well as, you know, we send out kits and supplies to different health agencies and receive kits and supplies and other materials and being in charge of a lot of that as well as in charge of the staff who log in other samples too, not just COVID. Cool. Yeah. Exciting changes. Sean, did you do anything? You got any big life changes in your house? Uh, I celebrated uh, my five year anniversary with the station. 
this week, which was uh, kind of cool. They had a a little uh, mini ceremony. Basically, it was a uh, you know boss came in my office and gave me a little packet, shook my elbow, walked off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there was that. Um, been uh, been catching up on uh, some more horror movies. Mel and I watched the first Purge uh, from what was that two years ago. I think it's been more than yeah, that. Well, I, no, it's it's actually called the first purge. It's not oh, the first. Oh, I got you. In, in the in the it's the latest purge, but it's a flashback. Right? Yeah, then that's been a couple of years. Um, it's the first one I've ever seen. It wasn't too bad. It was kind of cool. Makes makes us curious to watch the rest of them. So we'll, we'll we'll see. I also watched Rio Bravo for the first time. Wow, that's a fantastic little movie. Yeah, I've always liked Rio Bravo. I'm not a huge John Wayne fan, but uh, that one's really good. Other than that, nope, not much. All right, well, let's talk about the news. Our first bit of news is now you can brush up on how to fight Daleks with the Dalek Combat Training Manual. <laughs> coming out really? soon. It is. It's uh, actually coming out February 18th of next year. So you can actually pre-order your copy, the Dalek Combat Training Manual. I think they've done one of these before. Uh, one came out, I think, a year or two ago on the TARDIS, uh, and it wasn't Combat Training Manual, obviously, but it was very much in the same style where uh, it's uh, real world and, uh, well, I don't think it's even real world. I think it's in-world descriptions yeah. of things uh, connected with and to the Daleks. Um, actually, I think it has like real world inserts, but I think overall the book kind of takes it from a, a fantasy perspective or a, a fictional perspective, but it looks pretty cool. There's a lot of, uh, neat little entries. Um, it's kind of like the, uh, it's a Doctor Who version of like the Imperial handbook that Star Wars has done, or there was one about Sith and one about Jedi where it's kind of in world informational book about a subject yes yes it looks really cool it does look cool not being even even not being a big dalek fan i think it looks pretty neat not being a big dalek fan (laughs) you know it's not cyber and i can't get too excited well this makes me wonder if that's you know these are doing so well they did a tardis one they'll do they're doing this one i'm wondering if a uh, cyberman book isn't on the horizon there's enough material Readers can discover diagrams of Dalek spaceships, insights into many Dalek fashion, factions, a history of the Time Ward. War fashions, too. <laughs> Fa- factions. Dalek fashions. Fashions, too. Factions. <laughs> the different casings. History of the Time Ward, uh, Time War, and detailed analysis of their creator, Davros. And much more. Looks pretty neat. It's right up my alley. Um,. So yeah. it's it's just in time for you to uh, pre-order and then give me a IOU at Christmas time. <laughs> what else? Just let me do that a hint. Get it for you for Valentine's Day. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's not a bad idea. What else is, is in the news, Keith? Well, another book that's coming out has been announced with an audiobook, The Wintertime Paradox by Dave Rudden. will have an audiobook narrated by Sophie Aldred which I think we've covered the Wintertime Paradox before, which is a collection of festive stories about Doctor Who Christmases past, present, and future, featuring some of the best-loved characters and places from the Doctor Who world. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've covered it in news. Uh, we're actually reviewing it in just a few weeks, too, so look forward to that. Not the audiobook, just the book itself. Right, the book itself, yeah, exactly. Nine pounds. Well, that's not bad. 
That's a heavy audiobook. <laughs> All right, well, shall we move on to a review? If you're going to speak to the police, then tell them that there's something happening in this airport that may endanger human lives. Things are not always what they seem. Comedian tours are not quite what they seem either. I believe comedian tours to be merely a front, a cover. For what? For the mass kidnapping of young people. Never deliver any passengers. They say they pick up young passengers to take them to other places, but none of them ever arrive anywhere. One step nearer and I'll blow you off the smithereens. That doctor is a menace to our plans. Then we must kill him. Oh, doctor! Can't you do anything to stop it? No. You wanted to know what was the secret of chameleon tours? Well, Inspector? See for yourself. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, I would concur with that. I really liked this story. This is what I really liked about it is the it's kind of got it's like the right season to watch this, especially in the oh, beginning yeah. of it. Uh, it's very much got an invasion of the body snatchers vibe, uh, which is something I think that maybe they were sort of going for. Um, it, it turns very science fantasy later on when it's kind of divulged what's happening and what, what they're doing. But just really early on, it's got that really eerie thriller suspense uh aspect to it which i really like it's got a very unsettling atmosphere and tone to it yeah i think a lot of that ties into the score as well um we, i don't think we necessarily give the music of doctor who enough credit unless of course it's the uh the the wonderful pipe organs of gallifrey <laughs> or of rassilon um but uh yeah, this uh, the, the, there was something about the the orchestrations that were just really kind of lent themselves to this very creepy nature, um, and I think airports well, too. Yeah, the way it was shot, I mean, it was it was very I don't want to say slow, but it took its time. It didn't rush around. There was a large, fairly large sections, especially early on, where there isn't a lot of dialogue, and they're just kind of having some runabouts and some action, and then they're they cut away, and then it comes back, and so it's very much sets up a. There's not a lot of talking initially, so it gives it a bit more of a creepy vibe to it all. Yeah, there's a real slow build to that suspense, and I think it were in in some case it feels like um, some episodes of Doctor Who feels kind of like they're padding out because this is a six uh, episode story, but this one doesn't feel like it's padded. It's it's got a slow build, and there are, is a lot of times where there's not a lot happening. But it's done so well that that slow build crescendos up into the big excitement and the reveals and the things that are happening. And this story does that really, really well. I think that's because a lot of the the quote unquote padding and the running around is in the beginning as opposed to the end, the middle of the story. Because we spend so much time running away, trying to get away from the planes that are coming instead of, you know, jumping back in the TARDIS right away. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Why scatter when you could go right back into the ship where you're safe? But <laughs> you spent, they spend so much time running around and getting split up and trying to get back together all in episode one that you get all of that out of the way for the most part. 
uh, so you can really start delving into the story and what's going on in episodes two and onward. Because yeah. that's two is when the, the meat of the story starts to develop a lot more. That's very true. Um, now, that's not to say that it's not without problems. Um, you mean like so, it could have been all avoided by hopping back in the TARDIS? And... Well, I mean, like, um, I, I was uh, looking forward to some Ben and Polly. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. adventure. <laughs> this being their last story and all. Shit, and into a different one then. All, only to discover that, no, this was pretty much what they did to Dodo when Ben and Polly joined the Doctor. <laughs> that's, that's apparently the thing. Oh, this is your last story? No, you don't get a story. <laughs> well, to be to be fair, they were actually contracted out further than this, and things came up where they decided that they wanted to end their contract sooner. And so they were actually scheduled out to Evil of the Daleks, which would have been the next serial. Um, but they up they moved up there personally. They moved up there out so that they could do other things. They both had projects they wanted to do, and so what they did is they wrote this story around that, and that's why they they actually filmed that piece at the end early on. So that's that was actually filmed very early on because they knew that they would only be in the first two episodes of this, and so that's uh. why it's structured in that way. So it's it's not like them getting shorted. They actually requested to get out sooner than what they had been contracted up to, and the crew obliged them. And I think they did a I do think they did a fine job getting around to that and working with them, and and giving um uh what's her name uh Samantha Samantha, Samantha. a chance. Uh, at you know filling in some of that companion role, and I find it interesting that Pauline Collins, who played Samantha Briggs, was actually asked to stay on as companion, and she it turned him down. <laughs> she said she did. Definitely she felt like she it. was being auditioned throughout the story, pretty much, or that the the writers had intended for her to kind of stick around, possibly because yeah, I, I wonder her and they, Jamie together was so fantastic. I wonder if maybe they were surprised that she did turn down the role of going on because she had a lot to do in those last three or four episodes. Yeah. very much. Well, and I think it, despite the, dis, the quote unquote disservice to Ben and Polly, the fact that they're not even in most of their last story, I think it helps the story itself by pairing back the companions down to just essentially two instead of having three as replacing Ben and Polly with just Samantha, I think really kind of helps the story a little bit more that allows to the story to focus in two different directions instead of trying to find enough stuff for everyone to do. Well, it yeah. certainly proves that the TARDIS, the crowded TARDIS syndrome, you know, is sometimes apparent. And when you can trim back your supporter, you know, characters, it often helps the story. Yeah. So I did not recognize Pauline Collins until I saw who she was. Um, and then in the live action could not, could not see it differently anymore <laughs> yeah she plays uh queen victoria in uh yeah, tooth and, in tooth tooth and claw. claw so in she, the animation she... obviously it's not clear <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> it's I... not as apparent well That's yeah the, the the interesting thing is i watched the third episode which was the because uh, I, I watched the first episode as as you know the existing episode that's still around the second episode i watched in black and white with the four by three ratio and the third episode which is also existing i watched as well and she starts in that third episode and i think well she may even start earlier than that but i think what i when i saw her no she must start earlier than that because when i saw her animated i thought she looked 
I had seen pictures of her from just, you know, uh, screen grabs or production stills or whatever. And I didn't think she looked so much like the character. But then when I got to the third episode and I watched it and then went on back into another animated episode, I realized that she looked a lot more like her than I thought she did. So, But not necessarily compared to her in her role later years, yes. Right, yeah. And that's, um, that's what I was kind of trying to say, that while the animation looked like her, the live action looked like her and Queen Victoria at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I see. So like I could, you could see the it, it being the same person, but until you saw her as the live action, because I, I watched all, I watched episode one, and then live action, and then watched the animated episode one, and then the rest animated, and then went back and watched episode three again, live action, and that's when I noticed, oh, that's Queen Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> I did not notice. I shall have to go back and rewatch again. Uh-huh. What do you guys think of the animation? I think it's really good. Um, I think that it, it they're obviously this team they've been on since Power of the Daleks. It's obvious that they're getting better at what they're doing, and it's obvious that they're they they seem to be putting a lot more emotion in the characters, specifically in their faces. I think that past stories they've done let's see they've done Macrotera and Power of the Daleks I think past stories that they've done the actors aren't emoting expression as much as they are in this one and so I think that that's something that I zeroed in on this time was that you could really especially with Patrick Troughton he's such an animated character anyway um, in order to put a lot of that expression in his in you know in his facial movements I think really helped so I was very pleased with that. I also, and this may be because I'm getting used to this style of animation, it doesn't feel so stoic anymore like it used to. I mean, it's still noticeable that, you know, joints move in paper doll fashion and that kind of thing. But I, I think it's a lot smoother and it's less noticeable now. So they're certainly doing that a lot better. Um, we've we've definitely had animation companies that have done a worse job. So these guys, even in Power of the Daleks and the Macro Terror, I think have been better than previous animators but i think they've gotten it even better with this story so i was really impressed with the animation i, I watched then oh sorry go ahead oh, go ahead sean i was just gonna say i i think that uh with each one of these animations it uh it for the most part seems like they continue to get better and better um there are of course exceptions to that rule looking at you <laughs> reign of terror um but um this company in particular, of the ones that Glenn's mentioned, it, it felt the most fluid uh, and not quite uh, a, a callback. I still maintain that uh, the uh, the invasion still to me feels like one of the better ones uh, and not not quite a callback to that necessarily. But uh, I don't know. It just everything on this one really seemed to gel very well. Uh, and there were times where you could. Uh, you know, you can tell that there's maybe a different animation that's going on for the faces versus the rest of them in order to get the mouth movements. But I don't think that's a detriment. I think the way that they're blending those together seems to really be working here. Yeah, I would agree. Well, and I think part of part of it, I don't know how much of it comes down because of the story that it is or because they decided to change their approach to it slightly, but it feels like even compared to Macra Terror and Power of the Daleks that they tried to be almost truer to the style. They didn't add as many uh, kind of unique flourishes or um, 
additional angles or amp it up at all um, to try to make it quote unquote more modern of a story. It, and I watched part of the bonus feature of the documentary and they, they did talk about how compared to previous stories, they tried more so on this one to keep it truer to how it was actually shot. Right. Right. And I could feel that while watching it, it felt very different from power of the Daleks and macro terror. And the fact that it's a bit more static, it's a bit more clamped down. There's not as much dynamic camera movement throughout the story. And it was almost a bit jarring at first that it was this way because I almost expected, okay, it's an animated story, so they're going to try to add some flair to it to get new people to watch it. Um, But I appreciated that they tried to stay as true as possible to it. And in that vein, I think that it makes the black and white version the better version of this compared to the... Power of the Daleks and Macro Terror, where the color is, I think, a little bit be- a better version to watch. This the the colors are also so muted already that it's not that far off from black and white to begin. Anyways, yeah, there wasn't a lot of vibrantness in the color versions of this story. I don't think there needed to be either, and I think that that this story fits well with being able to kind of drum it down and keep it more realistic. And I think because it's Earthbound, I think because it's in an airport it's it's very familiar i think and it and it is encased in one location for the most part i think it works for this story because there's so much great dialogue going on to pay attention to that you don't want to be distracted by bells and whistles and i think that this story lends itself to not having to be distracted by bells and whistles well and compared to power and compared to macra there's not as much action either. I mean, there's an episode one where there's a lot of running around and the action shots of the airplanes. And then later the action shots of the airplanes taking off and stuff and a couple of struggles, but overall there's not nearly as much action in this one. So it, it kind of fits that it's because it's a lot more talking heads that they've animated it this way. And it allowed them to focus on the expressions more so instead of needing to worry about how to make the action be conveyed properly sean i have to ask if one of the problems with this story happens to be the the goldfinger solution (laughs) is there absolutely any reason to put a death laser that's gradually coming towards our heroes in a story where you especially don't even mention it and the only reason that i probably am probably better with it or more okay with it than others might be is because at least in the novelization that I read before this they make a mention that I mean it it gives the villain or the the bad guy a little more flavor of he feels that that would just be too easy for there's some inner dialogue but there would be too easy to let them off by with easy deaths because as difficult as they've been and how much trouble they've caused he almost gets a sense of satisfaction by setting this device up in order to slowly kill them and it even goes so far as to reference the fact that he realizes that they're going to wake up but still be immobile and will know and see it coming and that's another reason for him setting up so Knowing that from the novelization, and of course Terrence Dix is really good who novelized the the story. He's really good at building that storytelling up when 
it's missing in the episodes. And so I've appreciated that. But watching it without any sort of dialogue or anything, I thought, wow, that's really problematic. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, especially when you have already established them as a, a, a very highly advanced race that has ray guns and uh, super freeze paralyze pens and um then i'm gonna pull this camera box out of the floor and have a slow moving laser I and mean, if, if you're going to laser them it seems i i would be curious to know what all the inner monologuing was because if you're going to laser them just just laser them right right you know and, and obviously well you know, you can't laser the hero you have to put them in an easily escapable situation <laughs> you know that's just the way it's done but yeah, that, that that was one of the things that I, I may have scoffed at just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Even for 60s Doctor Who. <laughs> I also don't know if the overall plot of the bad guys is really as thoroughly thought out as it appears. I, I still don't fully grasp, okay, they were kidnapping all of these people so they could switch bodies with them. But for obviously... Reasons. Their bodies didn't work in our atmosphere, so why would the human bodies work on their atmosphere? And what were they going to do with... I, it It just didn't seem entirely clear to me. I don't know if I missed part of the story. No, I, I, or... cer- I certainly think you're you're on to something there. It's, it's not well enough explained. I think I was maybe fixing it in my head because I don't even think the novelization even went so far as to, to give a more of a supporting... Uh, theory behind that but i think what i presumed was they're not they're stealing identities and appearances and not necessarily i mean their bodies still will survive with the enhancements of the humans is the way i kind of took it so that's why when they get back to their planet the humans that they've basically drained their essence from would be okay because they have the physiology of the chameleons there. So I think that's why I was probably a little more okay with it. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I guess. I guess you can kind of hand wave your way into that. (laughs) Even for 60s Doctor Who. All right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think the greater problem with this is that not only is your plan very, very convoluted, um, and it, it requires so many moving parts to work. Okay, we're going to take over an airport, or at least, you know, enough of an airport that we have people, you know, that can do this. Our planes are going to disappear by flying straight up into this immense gargantuan, which I mean, kudos for the effect. You know, there's this giant hovering uh, space station and the planes fly up inside of it. And then we're going to miniaturize. That's another step. Now <laughs> We're going to miniaturize people for the ride back because we need so many of them. Mm-hmm. So even as immense as this, we couldn't build, just build a bigger ship. We're going to, we're going to shrink them down uh, and, uh, and take over their bodies. But we're not going to take all the originals. We're only going to take some. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot going on there. Not to mention the fact that for such advanced beings that have interstellar travel and ray guns and miniaturization technology, uh, you have the worst security (laughs) in the history (laughs) of airport security. Now, I know this is pre-9-11, 
but I still find it hard to believe that anybody can wander around Gatwick Airport and walk into your office as frequently as people you know are looking into your office do. <laughs> if you're trying to keep them out, that just, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and, and not to mention that you can hide behind a newspaper in order to avoid <laughs> the police officers that have a description and are looking for you. I mean, police officers, oh, that guy's got a newspaper up, so that's probably not him. And the guy next to him has a newspaper up that's upside down. Upside down, right. <laughs> in the in the book, it, it not only mentions that Jamie's upside down, but his is also in uh, German. <laughs> Poor Jamie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, other than that, there was a... Uh... I think this is a pretty good story for Jamie, though. I mean, he kind of gets a chance to shine by himself a little bit more than he's gotten to previously since it would be, his introduction. Yeah, it would be his first time that he's not necessarily sharing lines with Ben. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that now we've seen a lot of the Doctor and Jamie, but they're just they're fantastic in this together. They're just the, the chemistry oh, yeah. is there from the beginning. It almost feels like. It almost feels like Patrick Troughton is loosened up even more so in this story than he has in any previous story. And I wonder if part of that has to do with he's not having to his characters not having to instruct so many side characters. It's just him and Jamie for a lot of this and then him by himself for a lot of this as well. And so he. I think Patrick Troughton even gets a chance to shine, but that you just this just strengthens the my admiration for the chemistry between Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines. It's just they're so wonderful on screen together. Anytime they're on screen. Oh yeah, well, and you can tell Patrick's kind of getting more into his groove of the Doctor because so much of that you know initial uh, conversation with the Commandants when they're trying to look through uh, the Chameleon tours. Uh, looking for the body and all of that stuff is so much, you know, in par with what we see later down the road for yeah. the second doctor yeah. that it's just him stepping straight in the character. And it's, it's some of the most enjoyable parts of the early part of the story. Well, it doesn't feel as rehearsed either. It feels more off the cuff. It feels more in character with the second doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very true. Um, Patrick was um, certainly kind of coming into his element here. Um, if you're going to equate this to a Bond film, this is probably the second one, you know, where we've got the jitters over becoming this character out of the way. And now we can just focus on, on doing the job and having fun with it. Well, yeah, I think that, uh, me personally, I feel like, uh, uh, Sean Connery really cemented the role by the time Goldfinger came around, which is ironic that this has some characteristics <laughs> and similarities to Goldfinger because, I would agree with your sentiment. It feels like a Bond film that Connery has finally found his footing. And for the same reason, it feels like a Doctor Who where Troughton has finally found his footing. And one of the things that, going back to Jamie for just a second, is that not only does, you know, it's a great episode for him because he, not only is the chemistry there with the Doctor, but he kind of leaps into the man of action role because he doesn't have to share it with Ben. He gets to be investigative, even though he doesn't realistically have any clue what's going on <laughs> but people are in danger okay on it i mean that, that just kind of speaks volumes to his character and then he kind of you know gets a little bit of a love interest going on with sam yeah and uh, uh you know their interactions are great and i i agree that 
it, it very much felt like maybe she was being auditioned and it's kind of a shame that uh, that she chose uh, to stick around with her brother instead of you know going off on this uh, grand adventure but um there are, are are so many wonderful moments that Jamie has throughout this serial and then once again I felt slightly let down that okay, now we get to the big climax and he's been effectively written out because, well, he's in a closet somewhere and this doppelganger who doesn't have the accent is sitting there very dryly reading these lines. And it's like, oh, well, okay. I guess the doctor has to do something at some point so he can be the hero of this segment, I guess. <laughs> I like Samantha Briggs. I like Pauline, uh, Colin's portrayal in this. It was a very enjoyable character for what this was, but there were moments where I felt like she was a bit annoying. And I think that had she gone on and been a companion later on, I might she, it might have been too much. You know, I think this was just enough Samantha Briggs for me. I think if they had gone on, I'm not sure now. The character may have evolved and changed and toned down a little bit because I think she's she's putting on a character here. I mean, she's 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 slathering on the Liverpool accent for one thing. I don't know that the woman's really yeah. from Liverpool, but she was really spreading the Liverpool accent on thickly. Um, so that was grating on me a little bit because it 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 didn't feel genuine enough. I, I hate to say that because I don't know. Very many Liverpool liver liver is it Liverpuchians? Liverpuchians. I don't know very many Liverpuchians other than Puchians other than the uh, the Beatles, but it just it really felt a little bit. And maybe some of our our uh, friends across the the pond that maybe are more familiar with people from Liverpool, maybe maybe that is just very much a characteristic. But it was almost a little too much for me. So I don't. I, I'm kind of grateful that she didn't go on to at least portray that character yeah i guess i can give you that so um something else that i i i feel a little cheated because i watched the 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 color version um after the rousing success that was power of the daleks i thought well i'm just going to skip to the end as it were and uh and, and go straight to color and uh, so I, I watched the colorized version and then got to i think it was about the fifth episode and i finally switched over and thought well i should probably you know I should probably be fair and I should watch some of the, the, the original black and white. And as Keith pointed out, wow, it really popped in black and white. And I felt like, oh man, I picked the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so good in black and white. What was I thinking? And it's so cool that the DVD lets you have the option to yeah. watch it. And when you watch it in black and white to have the original episodes in there yeah. or watch the animated episodes. I think that was one of the reasons why I was glad that I watched it the way I did because when I started it, I was able to start it with the live action and animation interspersed for the first three episodes. And there wasn't a... In in the past, when you do that and you watch live action followed by animation, there's, there's often, and rightfully so, a very jarring effect because the medium has changed. But interestingly enough... It's very it it it's a lot more subtle in this one going from the live action to the animation together for this particular story and I think maybe it's because as you were saying it really pops and it really it works so well in black and white that you're you're kind of in awe of how cool it looks and how good of a job they've done with it and so you're overlooking the fact that you've stepped into a different medium that is very very likely 
Well, what else did we like about this particular story? I still don't like the DVD covers. I, I think they're, they're way too simplistic. I think you're going to you're going to have these really terrific characters, uh, drawn characters of these, you know, and, and I mean, they have the, the animations have a lot of character. And then you're going to put this really kind of low budget looking cover on it. That's just so disappointing. And who is she supposed to be? I, right. Looking yeah. at it, I assume it was Polly, but obviously Polly, we never really see her like this. So you don't, but you don't see. If you think about it, you don't see any women trans well, no. tra- uh, transferring. So yeah, I, I, this is obviously completely pulled out, could, pulled out of thin air. We we could assume the um the stewardess on the chameleon flight was. Well, you can assume. There were a lot of women that were, but we never saw the transition. That's my point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we only saw a couple of transitions in general. Right, but they were all males. That's what I'm saying. This wasn't yeah. even, this wasn't even, they didn't even take this out of the context of the story. They just, no, you know, this, this is pulled out of thin air. And I think you're, just looking at it, I think you're meant to think that that's Polly, or at least the chameleon that's becoming Polly's likeness. Yeah, definitely could have done better on the the cover. Of course, Patrick Troughton crouching behind the uh, airplane tire isn't much better either. So, <laughs> <laughs> as they've done on the you know audio book and right, right. radio, the CD release that they did. So maybe they couldn't have done better. I mean, <laughs> it is a hard story to try to you know create art for if you're not going to give away the look of the faceless ones. Well, I think they, well, this sort of does anyway. Kind of, yeah. I will say that um, in in kind of the surprise column, I, I went into this relatively blind. Uh, I didn't know really anything about this story before I sat down to watch it, other than it was a missing six-parter that had two parts, and I knew the scene with Jamie and the doctor on the uh, uh, airport tarmac uh, what was from this episode. Other than that, I didn't know anything about what it was about or, or anything. So in, in the case of judging a book by the cover, you pick it up, you look at this cover and you go, eh, okay, what's going on here? And then you get into the story and, uh, you know, I, I think probably my first gut reaction before I even started, it was, I think it's odd that they chose this one to animate because it seems like as, as we've talked many times, uh, we would think that they would start with ones that aren't missing as many parts, but then getting into it and discovering how much of the story was kind of set in this airport, it became even more perplexing because it's like, this isn't exactly, I mean, it's a, it's creepy and it's atmospheric, but it's kind of a slow burn. It's not got those like macro terror when we went, Oh yeah, this is actually a great one to animate because it's got monsters and you can do cool things with that. This one, I wasn't getting it until the story kind of got along. And then we get our first look at the aliens and it was like, ooh, okay. So now there's there, there's some stuff going on, and I still feel like I don't know. Maybe it's a it's 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 an odd choice for them to choose to animate because the aliens spend so much time masquerading as humans. Yeah, so you don't see the you don't see the alien makeup very much. Yeah, there, there's there's not as great of an opportunity for that. But I kind of feel like maybe that's made up for with the you know airplanes and. Uh, hovering spaceships and you know some of the other stuff kind of i think makes up for that a little bit yeah 
I guess I don't. I don't want to take away from it, but I, no, I just. I, yeah, I guess I don't think too much about that because I, I certainly think that there's a. I think there's a method to their madness on how they're animating this, and I think what they're doing is they're. I think they're now on a sprint to finish up an entire season so that they can put together a, a, a trout and box set. And so I think that that, I mean, we've got power from that season. Now we don't have Highlanders lit yet, which I really think is the only thing in this season that is left evil. to do. Oh yeah. No evil starts the next season. Doesn't it? No, or is it's, it the, it's, it's the, the last one of this one season. Of this season. Okay. So I suspect that we'll probably get evil and I don't know that they would do Highlanders. They may settle for a, um, recon version a uh, stills recon version of of highlanders but i suspect that this is the one that we'll get on dvd when they're when they're ready to do it or could, on blu-ray could, yeah that's what i meant blu-ray um they could uh actually they could go for that next season too because there's a lot of that that exists and they're doing fury from the deep which would wrap up uh victorious arc as well so they certainly seem to be rushing to do um companion uh Arrivals Departures. and leavings, yeah, and departures. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe we'll get the Myth Makers soon. Yeah, there's a lot from the next season that's kind of missing still. I mean, Abominable Snowmen. Yeah, that's true. Fury, or they did Fury and Wheel in Space. So there's two yeah, other stories within I, the next season that hasn't been touched yet. I think, unless you count the recon. I think the jury's still out on Wheel. Uh, whether they're going, to, whether they were satisfied with just having that loose cannon reconstruction that was done for BritBox or not, especially yeah. especially since they've done some animating on it, and it would make sense to do the next season because you know everyone's going to rush out to buy Tomb of the Cybermen on Blu-ray. We've already had a special, a regular edition, and a special edition of it, so. Animation foibles or or, or, or odd uh, episode choices aside, I'm just happy to have another one on the shelf. Yeah, I uh, you know, any any excuse for more Troughton yeah. is a, is a good thing, and I, oh, I, yeah. I still yeah. kind of I still kind of hearken back to you know the early days of the podcast. It was not that long ago when there were eight on yeah. the shelf, just a handful, and that was yeah. it. That was that was, I had everything that Troughton had available. I mean, I still have everything that Troughton has available now, but right. <laughs> well, the crazy thing lot, is, there's a lot more than that there. The crazy thing, looking at my shelf here. There are almost as many Troutons as there is Hartnells now on the shelf. There's not that many mm-hmm. stories uh, available, but there's there uh, at least the ones that are on DVD. You've got a good, handy amount. And there's more than half of what uh, uh, Pertwee has, and we have all of his. So that's pretty impressive that they've done that well. So a little bit surely we're getting them back. In one way or another. That's right. And I enjoy the animation, so if they choose to continue with it, then I I choose to continue to support them and continue to buy it. And I hope they stay with this company, because I've really been pleased with them, for sure. Of course, anybody's better than that stupid Moonbase group. No, the Moonbase was good. Oh, no, it was the uh, Ice Warriors. It was the Reign of Terror. No, Reign of Terror's fine. (laughs) You guys guys just don't appreciate fine art. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe if it was a different story, it would have been different. Well, that too. could be too. That could be too. But when when, uh, when they make the first doctor look like a frog, no, I, I don't appreciate <laughs> the fine art. Look like the frog. <laughs> Although he, he was a more believable frog than the one in that thirteenth doctor episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I also wanted to mention how I enjoyed the supporting cast in this. I thought the Commandant was a great character. Um, the Blade was a great villain. Uh, he did. A, he had a fantastic job. Even down to like Nurse Pinto, I thought she was really enjoyable. Um, the other one, the Inspector, was it Meadows? I yeah, really, I, I right. who when wound up becoming the director. Uh, I thought all of them were such fantastic characters and so well performed that they really helped flesh out the entire story. Yeah, I would agree. I think they, everybody in here is real good. Um, the gal who's the the assistant to the commandant too. She was one of my favorite characters in this whole. Gene thing. Rock. Yeah, played by Wanda Vantham. She was fantastic. Also, known as Benedict Cumberbatch's mom. Yeah, she went on to play in uh, to, to uh, star in the Image of the Findel. And Mark of the Ronnie. No. Time in the Ronnie. Time in the Ronnie. Yeah. Yeah. I kept suspecting the the rug was going to get pulled out from under us i kept waiting for her to be revealed as you know as an alien (laughs) even when the search was on and she's going through okay we're looking for bodies and she's digging through a drawer and i'm like aha but (laughs) never happened (laughs) just like surely it's going to happen it's it's got to be in here somewhere well it was so great to see a a, a woman playing an assistant in a 60s story actually have some you know she took some self-initiative and not a lot of the female characters in that role those roles in these stories get to do that yeah very true it it very easily could have been relegated to go get coffee yeah yeah you know and uh and it wasn't she was very much the right hand of the administrator and it was also refreshing, I think, to you mentioned how great some of these characters were, and you know the the, the nurse and Blade. They they were all very effective at being creepy, at being just slightly alien, just slightly off, with mm-hmm. uh, you know kind of emotionless, and yet they all projected uh, a sense of menace. And then our authority figures, with both the commandant and the uh, uh, Scotland Yard inspector, both could have been. That guy, the one that's in a position of authority, who doesn't believe the doctor and is going to lock him up. And, you know, the one that we get so frequently. And instead we get, you know, okay, we're going to start that way because, well, yeah, it's pretty incredulous. But as they talk to the doctor, they, they, they come over to his side and then, you know, wind up being very staunch. I like those characters yeah. in whatever story it is. I enjoy it when we have somebody with an open enough mind. And I, I was concerned about the Commandant for a long while. <laughs> he wasn't going to be that guy. But when they finally get over it and just like, okay, what can we do to help? And they stop being part of the problem. And it's like, okay, those, those, are, those are some of my favorites. All right. Well, Sean, what do you got coming up with the schedule? Well, I have some exciting things coming up on the schedule that I'm not sure I'm going to tell you guys about. <laughs> well, what do we have coming up on the schedule? Oh, what we have coming up on the schedule. Well, in that case, uh, we return to the world of Time Lord Victorious next week uh, with a big finish audio drama, He Kills Me, He Kills Me Not. And the next installment of the Doctor Who magazine comic, Monstrous Beauty, number two, and then the following week, we step back away from that universe in order to review the, um, as mentioned at the top of the show, The Wintertime Paradox by Dave Rudin. So just in time, I believe it's Rudin, um, just in time for your uh, uh, holiday gift giving, 
ideas for the Whovians in your life. This is a, a <laughs> book of, of short Christmas stories. And I understand that uh, there's also one that's been released called Canaries. Canaries. Canaries My yeah. eyesight's getting bad. Um, <laughs> that does tie in with Time Lord Victoria. So we won't step completely away. Right. That's uh, that's what's on the docket for the next two weeks. I'll be sure to check out our website, travelingthevortex.com, for updates. And if you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on our Patreon link on the website. Consider supporting us. Thank you again to those who continually support us and keep us going. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review on whatever whatever aggregator you uh, subscribe to this podcast on. It helps bumping us up in the ratings and of course uh you know recommendations are uh helpful for us and make sure that you join in the conversation in our listeners forum on facebook there you can engage with our listeners and us and share your thoughts and insights with us and others on the program dr who that's gonna do it for this time until next time i'm glenn i'm sean no i'm keith cheers good night everybody be seeing you and have a safe flight You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.